Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases. The content may be triggering or inappropriate for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Amber. And today we have a case for you that actually, even though it is 10 years old, it is the 10 year anniversary of this case this year, it has most recently, as of June 4th, like been back in the news. Oh, really? Yeah. So first I want to thank our listener, Chelsea, for recommending this case. Thank you, Chelsea. She happens to, I believe she said that she lives in the, the town and so she knew this is the 10 year anniversary and I'd really oh. like you guys to cover it. Hopefully I did a good job on this. Which town does this take place in? It it happened in Holland, Ohio, oh. which is near Toledo. Okay, mm-hmm. so not super far. Not from far us. from us, no. And it is it's the the death of Johnny Clark and Lisa Straub. And it in Holland like deaths like this in the manner in which these two were murdered. Mm-hmm shook the town because stuff like this doesn't happen. I mean, they have some crime in Holland, but not not the details that we're about to get into here. Now, one of my main sources for this episode comes from WTOL 11 Investigates. They actually spent hundreds of hours looking into the case, reviewing thousands of pages of the court documents and the police interviews, But then they also gained the trust of the person who was convicted for these murders and spent a lot of time with him, interviewing him and getting his side of the Mm -hmm. story as he maintains his innocence in this case. Oh, really? Yes. And so then I took it upon myself to find all the court documents as well and read through them until my eyes bled. And as court documents Literally, yeah. will do to you. They, they can be painful. Yes. And this this definitely was because there's even, he appealed the decision um, in 2015, lost the appeal. So I read that as well. So it was basically, I, I felt like after reading through the W, um, the 11 of investigates report mm-hmm. and then the court documents. And it was just kind of like this back and forth of like, this is what his side of the story is, but this is what was presented in court and this, and it was very interesting. So I'm just going to lay it. I pieced it all together. I'm going to lay it all out for everyone. And I'll, I'll ask you what your opinion is at the end. All right. We're going to begin on January 27th, 2011, when Jeff and Mary Beth Straub left Holland to go on a cruise for their 25th wedding anniversary. And I will say right off the bat that I did not feel like I there wasn't a lot of information. Usually we do background on the victims and mm-hmm. like their childhoods and things like that. And just right now, that information just isn't really readily it's available. I get no. it. And so I'm going to make it more about the event itself rather than doing some of that background stuff. Just sometimes, sometimes we can, sometimes we can't. Yep, Gregory Green couldn't find a lot. Yeah, on exactly. So here Jeff and Mary Beth are going on their 25th wedding anniversary cruise and their, da- their daughter, 20-year-old Lisa Straub and her 21-year-old boyfriend, Johnny Clark, and their puppy Aww. were the only people 
that were uh, supposed to be at the house at Mr. and Mrs. Straub's when they were gone. Okay. okay. They really had a lot of rules, good for them, about rules and expectations about their house. I like it. Uh, yes. Now, uh, I do. I was able to obtain the information that Lisa started dating Johnny in the summer of 2009, shortly after Lisa graduated from high school. Now, Lisa had moved in and out of, of her parents' home several times between the summer of 2010 and late November 2010. And when Lisa moved back into her parents' home in November 2010, that was the final time. And in December, her parents allowed Johnny to also move into their home. Okay. So they've got their adult daughter and her boyfriend living, you know, in living in their home. Mm-hmm. They've been, Johnny and Lisa have been dating since 2009. It's now January 2011 when they leave for their cruise and say, okay, you guys look after the house and the puppy, but no partying. No one's allowed over. Keep just it you clean, guys. Keep yep. it. Gotcha. So he had been, Johnny had been living there essentially for about a month before all this happened. Mm-hmm. Lisa had been a part-time waitress at TGI Fridays on Airport Highway and was taking college classes nice. at the time. I love Fridays. And like I said, there were strict rules. There was no smoking, no partying. Um, however, on January 27th, the same day that Lisa's parents left for the cruise, she did have some friends over, including a woman named Tiffany Williams, who had asked Lisa to hold some Percocet until she had the money to cover it. Oh, never a good idea. Don't do it, Lisa. Well, Lisa asked Johnny and Johnny was like, nope, can't do it. So then later, Tiffany then texted Lisa and said, quote, I always look out for them if they needed it. And if he was going to act funny, then I'm just going to go ahead and tell on him for cheating on her with one of her friends. Uh Uh-oh. Yes. So there's a little bit of tension there. So now she's like, well, listen, Johnny been cheating with one of my friends, and I'm going to bust his ass out Mm -hmm. about it. You're not going to hold my Percocet? Yeah. You're going down. Yeah. So now let's skip forward to Sunday, January 30th. So that was January 27th. So we're three days later. Mama and Papa are still on their cruise. Mm-hmm. They're home. Johnny Clark was watching the Pro Bowl with some buddies when he had to leave to pick Lisa up around 10 p.m. from her waitressing job at TGI Fridays. He did so, and the two headed back to Lisa's parents' house. Now, the court records, because I showed you that I, or I told you, I showed you. I didn't show you anything. It's a <laughs> show podcast. Show me the documents. Um, I, um, I was reviewing the court records, and they showed that, tis, that later Tiffany did testify that quote we planned on meeting at 12 o'clock meaning p.m. so he picks up um lisa at 10 tiffany is going to meet at 12 tiffany has a boyfriend named zach Mm -hmm. the four of them together are going to she says quote we planned on 12 getting some pills and going over and shooting some pool end quote okay so kids in there Mm -hmm. kids in there fun Tiffany said the plan was that after Lisa got off work, Johnny and Lisa were going to drive over and pick up Tiffany and Zach at Zach's house and then drive back to Lisa's parents' house. So that was the plan. So they were going to meet at midnight. Um, yeah, they were going to, um, they were going to, John, Johnny and Lisa were going to go physically pick up Tiffany and Zach. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Around goodness, 12. That's so late to meet you these know, days. We are old, Amber. We are, we are. I'm like, gosh, I would be in bed by then. Yes, for sure. But whatever the kids they're are 20. doing. Yeah, they're, they're 20. They're young. Oh, the days. Yes. At 10.41 p.m. on January 30th, 
Tiffany called Johnny. When Johnny answered his cell phone, he did not say hello. Instead, she said that she heard a male voice in the background and heard Johnny exclaim several times, quote, who the fuck are you and what the hell are you doing, end quote. Oh. She then heard Johnny say, quote, I'll call you back, Tiff, end quote. Tiffany said Johnny was yelling and his tone of voice was excited and confused, but not like an excited normal, not a normal tone at all. He had like a high pitch to his voice when so he was like, like a fear. Yeah. Like who, when he was saying, who the fuck are you and what the hell are you doing? Mm-hmm. Tiffany and Zach tried to contact Johnny and Lisa numerous times, but their phone calls and text messages went unanswered. Tiffany said that she was concerned about what she had heard, but she did not call the police because she knew Johnny and Lisa had drugs in the house. Oh. And her fear was that there were people there buying some of the drugs, and she did not want to be a snitch. Now, was this something that they did? Like, did they sell things? Johnny... Johnny was into some unsavory things. Okay. He, we'll get to it in a minute gotcha. about what his friends testified about. Mm-hmm. I like the word unsavory. Yes. it's a good one. Tiffany decided to run several errands, including getting money and Percocet, as they had planned. You know, the usual. The usual. <laughs> and she argued with Zach about whether they should go to uh, Lisa's parents' home or not. And it was cold and snowy. But Tiffany convinced Zach that they should drive out, and they sh- they arrived at the strobe, str- excuse me, Straub home mm-hmm. around twelve thirty a.m. on January thirty first. Tiffany knocked on the front door and rang the doorbell, but no one answered. She looked in the front door's side lights and said it was unusual that the upstairs interior doors were open and that the house's interior lights were on because there were rules of the house. And and part of the rules were that you shut the doors behind you and you shut off the lights. Oh. So she This is a tightly run household. Yes. And if you're going to come visit, you're going to respect the rules. And I'm Mm -hmm. sure Lisa, she's 20 years old, is like, I'm not really supposed to be having people here, so make sure you follow the rules so my parents don't know that other people were over here. So they immediately are like, okay, that's something's The doors are open and lights are on. They're not coming to the door and they're not answering their text messages. And we had planned to pop some pills and shoot some pool. Right. So like, this is weird. Tiffany and Zach then leave Lisa's parents' house. And she decides to call a a friend. Her name was Sharita Crumbly. And she told Sharita what she had heard. That is quite a name. Yeah. And hopefully I'm saying it right. It's S-C, or excuse me, S-H-E-R-R-I-T-A. Sharita. Oh, that's what I would think. Yeah. So she's like, she she tells her what she heard on the phone the last time she talked to Johnny and the events leading up to that and, you know, what's going on. So Sharita's like, something doesn't sound right. I'm going to call Johnny's mama. Mm-hmm. Because Johnny is very, very close with his family. Um, Johnny... Is he has a um, Cuban heritage? He talks to his mom several times a day. Gotcha. As a matter of fact, his phone had like fifty eight calls on it just in that one day. the The records will later show. Like he was always calling, talking to people, and a lot of those phone calls, even every day, like was his mom. She was always Aww. calling and checking in. They're very close family. His mom immediately is like Mama Bear. It's like that's not right. My mm-hmm. for my son not to answer the phone. Then she starts calling Johnny's phone, and he's not answering, and that does not happen. Mm-hmm. Like, Johnny picks if up mom when mama's calls. calling. Okay. Yep. So then Tiffany receives a phone call from Johnny's father. His name is John Clark. 
probably where Johnny came from. Well, I think you're onto something. Yes. I'm pretty smart, Amber. <laughs> so so um, John calls Tiffany and was like, listen, can you come pick me up and take me to Lisa's parents' home? Because I, this is concerning to me. I want to check things out mm-hmm. as well. So they're like, sure. Tiffany and Zach pick up Mr. Clark and the trio reach the um, home about 1 a.m. But instead of pulling into the driveway, Tiffany turned off on a different road because Johnny's mom had already called 911 and had asked for the police to come do a welfare check. Well, by the time um, Mr. Clark is picked up, the police are already there banging on the door. There were some warrants out for some people. I'm, I won't be out in the people in the car who had warrants, mm-hmm. but one or more of the people had some warrants. Um, okay. So they weren't about to just stroll up to the police. So after the police leave, Tiffany, Zach, and Mr. Clark return to the um, Lisa's parents' home. They knock on the door. No one answers. They walk around the outside of the resident and tried to look in the windows, but the shades were closed. They could see very little. Johnny's mother and her cousin now arrive on the scene. And Johnny's mom's not playing. She's yeah. like, I don't Ma- give a Mama's shit. Mama's here. Yeah, and I don't Clear give a shit area. if you guys do have some warrants. I'm calling 911 again, mm-hmm. and I'm letting them know because now the, my boy is not answering the door to me. So they come out again, and, and again, the police officers are like, there's no sign of... Like, there's nothing here that shows us that we have, you know, a reasonable cause to get to break into this Mm -hmm. home, essentially. Even with this crowd of people that's like, listen, something is going on. No, there's no outwards, like, despite the fresh snow, there's not footprints that were concerning. They're just like, but then before they leave, the police officer was like, listen, as a police officer, I can't get in there. But as a parent... I'd wait until we leave and then break in oh, there. Oh, nice. Yeah. He was just like, th- this they is. They get it. Like, they're yeah, understanding. This is, the law is black and white, but here's a gray area mm-hmm. that here you go. So after they leave, Mr. Clark kicks in the front door, enters the house, and finds Johnny and Lisa with plastic bags over their heads. Oh, no. He rips the bags open to find that his son, Johnny, and Lisa were dead. He oh, my God. Initially tried to ad- administer CPR and then realized it was. It's too, it's too late. Mm-hmm. Uh, my heart for I these know, parents. For these parents who knew immediately something was wrong. Now, not to mention the parents that are going to be coming home from a cruise yes, and their daughter they is They had dead. to be notified while they were on their 25th wedding anniversary cruise because they did horrible. get a hold of them on the ship. Okay. The couple was found in the kitchen, though the positioning of their clothing suggested that their bodies had been moved to that location because both of their stomachs were exposed as if their their shirts had been pulled up by being drug. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. It wasn't like exposed like in a sexual manner or anything like that. It was, it was like pulled. clear that they had been drug and their shirts had come up exposing their midriff. I see. There was, Johnny's wallet was actually on his stomach, just like laying on his stomach. And there was a torn picture of Johnny and Lisa that was later found in the sunroom. Interesting. Yes. And like, nope, that goes nowhere else. It was just mentioned like in the court document. Like it, it is part of the evidence, but. Nobody really knows what the yeah, reasoning was. Yeah. And once you find out who becomes a convicted of this, it's kind of like, but wait, there's. There's got to be more here. Johnny had his hands and his legs were restrained with black duct tape behind his back. 
Um, I'm sorry, his legs weren't behind his back, but his legs were his legs were restra- restrained with the black duct 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 tape. So you, you know what? Before you, you judge you me, it. you guys start saying it right now. Black duct tape, um, and and his hands were behind his back. Lisa's hands were bound with the black duct tape behind her back, but her legs were not bound. Oh, at all. Um, and. Actually, Mr. and, and Mrs. Uh, Straub, Lisa's parents, testified that they did not own black duct tape. So that had oh, been brought in brought for in. that purpose. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the autopsy was completed by Dr. Um, Menasi Pandey. Pandey? Not sure. He's not listening. It's okay. Um, a de- you never know. <laughs> he could be a crime curious fan. It's true. A deputy coroner and forensic pathologist with the Lucas County Coroner's Office performed the autopsy. He described their injuries and the manner in which they were bound. He stated that Lisa's toxicology report showed that she had therapeutic levels of Vicodin and Percocet in her system, so not abusive levels. They were therapeutic. While Johnny's toxicology report showed that he had minute levels of Percocet in his system and the presence of marijuana in his urine. He's a... decided that the cause of de- decided he opinioned <laughs> that the cause of death for both Lisa and Johnny was asphyxiation due to strangulation and suffocation the doctor was not able to determine which victim had died first or a very specific time the home did offer some clues here there were there was interior damage to the garage door leading into the home as though Johnny and Lisa had tried to push the door closed as the like attackers rammed against it. Oh, you see what I mean? Yeah. Like, like it is believed that they were exiting the house to go pick up Tiffany and Zach, mm-hmm. and they were met their attackers someone. in the garage. So they tried so they, to yep shut the garage door, and then the damage suggests that it it was they pushed their way in. Yeah, yep. okay. Oh, and Johnny horrible. was not a small man. He was well built, um, 200 pounds. So it would have taken a lot of force. So multiple it, people probably mm-hmm, is okay. what what I think there a lot of people are deducing is that for them to overpower Johnny shutting that door and holding it shut, more than one person had to have been pushing from the other Makes side. Sense. Now the second, there was another door that sustained damage, and that was Lisa's upstairs be- upstairs bedroom. It appeared as though she tried to lock herself in the room, but the door was forced, forced open. Her cell phone was in another location in the house. Much of the house remained remarkably undisturbed. It's clear that whoever broke in had a specific idea of what they were seeking. The master bedroom had a king-size mattress pulled away from the frame and the dresser was overturned. There uh, there was also like some wall space that was opened. Uh-huh. Like some of the drywall had been opened and cut out, like, oh. you know, knocked out. And there were items pulled from bedroom drawers. So they're like someone, this, the master bedroom of Lisa's parents. So it was like they, they knew what they were looking yes, for? Yes, they were looking for something specific. Gotcha. And we'll get to that in a minute. A cigarette was found and collected for evidence. It was found near the service door leading into the garage from the home. It seemed out of place. Detectives um, did not smell. It's obvious that no one smoked in the house. Mm-hmm. So they're like, why is this cigarette in the house? Why is this cigarette butt in the house? Yeah. 
they were, they did like pull a lot of fingerprints and a lot of DNA and we'll get to it in a minute. Um, multiple people told police in interviews that the word on the street was that there was a safe with a large amount of money, like upwards of a hundred thousand dollars in that home. Oh, interesting. And when 11 investigates did their investigation, there were two different people who told 11 investigates about how there was a party a few weeks before the murder in which the money was heavily discussed. I see. So, so that word got out about that safe being there. Yes. The hundred possible $100,000. Now the thing is, is that Mr. at Lisa's parents, Mr. and Mrs. Straub, or like, no, we did. So there was no safe. We did not have $100,000 in our house. Wow. Yeah. The investigative report details how the home was ransacked in a way that suggests that this was a search. Like I said, the mattress is kind of being slightly pulled, some mm-hmm. uh, little bit of the wall knocked out, dressers overturned, but not in every room. The rest of the house was undisturbed. Gotcha. Like there was jewelry that was left. There were electronics that were left. So they weren't just looking for anything and everything. It was something specific. Yep. Yep. Lisa's purse was empty. You know, was emptied. Like the contents of it was emptied. Like I said, his wallet was Mm -hmm. emptied and put on his stomach, but they left jewelry. There were clothes from the walk-in closet that were pulled out and dumped on the floor. There was also envelopes, and this becomes important during the trial. There were some white envelopes with Iraqi currency in it. Interesting. And they were left. Okay, it was not stolen. In subsequent interviews with the detectives, multiple people said that Johnny had talked about a safe with $100,000 being in the home. Mr. and Mrs. Straub are just like, we left them $40 behind to order some pizza. Like, that's it. There was not. There, there We're was not no. leaving them with a $100,000 mm-hmm. safe. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> One of the attorneys actually said, quote, it was remarkable how clean the scene was. Usually you have blood fingerprints. They didn't have any of that, really. Um, And this was an unusual method of killing. Detectives are used to seeing shootings and stabbings, maybe even some strangulation. But this was a specific MO that when we had not had any cases like that. The the captain on this case was Matt mm, Lutique. I'm definitely not saying that right. But anyway, good old Captain Matt. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, listen, this is kind of specific. They had plastic bags. That were over their head and then tightly bound duct tape around their necks. They had been strangled as well, but more than likely it was the suffocation from the plastic bags that killed them. Like that's that's a specific MO mm-hmm. is how is what they felt. Nothing obvious jumped out at the on the on the scene investigators. Later crime scene analysis revealed some several several clues. There was several sets of unknown DNA that were found on the duct tape around the neck, uh, around the neck of Johnny and around his ankles, and also in the pocket of his sweats. There was unknown female DNA in the pockets of his sweats and his sweatshirt. Huh. Like he'd been searched. Yeah. Okay. It did not match Lisa's, didn't match any of their friends, any of their acquaintances. I will tell you that DNA analysis has come back on a lot of these people. There, there is an unknown female and an unknown male that has yet to be oh, really? identified. 
that doesn't match any of the acquaintances. They believe that the killers did know that Lisa's mother and father were not home and that they were on their cruise. Okay. So it's somebody that knew them. Right. Or knew of them. That's what it would seem, right? On the day of the murder, on January 11th, Johnny Clark's phone was blowing up. He was called 51 times. At 8 p.m., his mother, Métis, called him to check in. She often called him multiple times a day, like I said before. And the thing is, is that the phone log for Johnny showed that at 1041, he had talked to someone. And that person's identity is being protected. Oh. And that's the thing with this case. There's other people who know things, but even 10 years later are too scared to say. Really? So at 1041, after he talked to this person, he talked to Tiffany. That's when, and he was, uh, that's really the last person. Tiffany's the last person that he talked to when he answered the phone and was like, who the fuck, you know, didn't say hello, but done was because Tiffany called him. This unidentified person was like, yes, I did talk to him at 1041 as well. And I know for a fact that Johnny was waiting for a man named Anthony Watson. Detectives interviewed dozens of people for this investigation. Johnny was very well connected throughout the the town. Yeah, you said there were some unsavories. Yes. And there was no shortage of people who had drug and violence convictions that could raise red flags that they could look at first. Anthony Watson was interviewed. He told police that the men were planning to meet up, but when it got too late into the night, he told Johnny that he would get up early for um, for school the next morning and he'd not be able to meet up. So he's like, yeah, initially he was waiting for me, but, but then he wasn't. You know, then we decided we're not getting together. Mm-hmm. But in November, Watson was brought into the county jail after being arrested on a felony burglary, burglar charge to meet with the detective again. Now, he wanted to tell of a conversation that he had had weeks before the murders, with a woman. And he said the woman placed herself at the scene of the crime. And he also said that a man named Samuel Williams was there. Okay. He told the detective, Johnny sees Sam, saw saw him, pushed, pushed them back inside, and when it all went bad. He also claimed that the woman who told him there was a man named Dro and a second woman. He said they were looking for a safe that was rumored to be in the home. At the time of Watson's second interview, Williams, Sam Williams, and another man named Cameo Petaway um, were already in jail because that cigarette that I mentioned Mm -hmm. that was by the garage, there was two DNA profiles on it, and they matched for Sam Williams and Cameo Petaway. Oh. So Sam Williams and Cameo Petaway are, are arrested on September 22nd, 2011, for this. And by the time that Watson does, that Anthony Watson does his second interview, he already knows that they're arrested mm-hmm. and he's already had the opportunity that the case is covered in the media. Gotcha. So it's kind of like, uh, and he was never, um, Watson expressed fear for his family's safety after naming multiple people to the police. He was never called to testify in the trial of Sam Williams or Petaway. There's no paperwork on it being because of his because he was cooperating with police and detectives, but his felony count was lowered to a misdemeanor to which he pleaded guilty and received probation. 
So what I'm saying here is that he he did give the police lots of names, including Sam Williams' name, who was already arrested. He already knew that information. Gotcha. So it wasn't like groundbreaking new info. No, it was what it was doing was strengthening the prosecution's case. He's like, yeah, yeah, you placed Sam and other, yes, other unknown people, including two unknown females, and which we the DNA was like all this stuff was already public, and so he already knew those things. Yes, and he did receive a lesser sentence. I will say on September 19th, 2018, an unknown person gunned down Watson outside his apartment and the murder remains unsolved. What? Wow. So yeah. somebody somebody eliminated the snitch apparently. Yes. Man, these guys were into some heavy stuff. I they really really were. Court testimony shows that DNA from nearly 40 people was compared to the DNA in the house. Wow. There were people so lots All of over. connections. And I will say the DNA on the duct tape, though, could also have been from the manufacturing process. Like True. some of the, you know, some of the workers making It's the, probably been handled many yeah. times. Yep, through. exactly. None of the DNA, you know, that they they found in the house was a hit um, for someone unexplained other than Samuel Williams and Cameo Petaway. And their DNA was only found on the cigarette. Their DNA was not on the body of Lisa, not on the body of Johnny, not in their pockets, not on anything else. It was that cigarette cigarette alone. Did they share a cigarette? Yes, and they did it often. They were buddies. Oh, okay. Yep, and that's mentioned several times, that that's not unusual for them. Okay, gotcha. Yep. There were other cigarettes found outside that had identifiable DNA on it, and it was, they were guests of Johnny and Lisa. Like, they're, you know what I mean? Like. Like, yeah, we weren't supposed to be at the house, but we were there. And, mm-hmm. you know, so so they do have their two suspects, but the only thing they have on them is this cigarette butt that was inside the house when all the other cigarette butts were outside and had explainable DNA. Now, here's the other thing. John, J- Sam Williams, at the time of his arrest, and Cameo Petaway are like, we don't know Johnny Clark and Lisa. That's what I was going to ask with the, like, that cigarette butt being in the house if they were friends. No. Like it could have actually, you know, somehow gotten in the house. Yep. Un- no. Unintentionally. So they right. didn't know Johnny They did and not know them. Well, that makes it a little more suspicious. They have them. one person in common that I will discuss later. That's it. But they did not know each other. So let's talk about the day they, that Sam Williams gets arrested. It was September 22nd, 2011. He described it as a mope around day. He slept in late invited some friends over to play video games, and ran out to get cigarettes. Cigarettes cigarettes were always in short supply because he smoked three packs a day. Oh. Yeah. My lungs hurt just Mm -hmm. thinking of it. Yeah, and he's, you know, 20 years old. His brother agreed to buy him a pack if Williams agreed to go to the store with him. Like, I'll buy you, but you're going to come with me. Um, As Williams crossed the street to get into his, his car, the world, his world exploded. All these marked cars came rolling up. The U.S. Marshals and the detective had their detectives had pulled their guns on me and laid me down to arrest me. He said, "So he's like just going to the store to get, to get cigarettes. Some cigs. Yep, and wow. all of a sudden, the SWAT team comes in, throws him to the ground, and arrests him." He said, "Quote: I had a warrant for one of my domestic violence cases that I was on probation for. I'm like." I've got 30 days in jail. Jail. I don't want to do the probation. End quote. He said, he's like, that's what he's telling them. (laughs) He's thinking it's for that. Yep. Wow, you guys are intense. Well, for sure. (laughs) 
And he goes, as the U.S. Marshal was putting cuffs on me, I said, you really come and get people for misdemeanor domestic violence cases? He's so confused. Oh, yeah. Later at the Sheriff's Department, he declaimed, he complained to Detective Jeff Kozak about the rough treatment. And he said, quote, if you would have sent me something in the mail, I would have come down. You didn't have to humiliate me like that. You could have just sent a letter, sir. Right. <laughs> it's like, this is a little much for a misdemeanor right? domestic violence. At that point, he realizes it's bigger than that warrant. And he shifts his thinking into defending himself against a promoting prostitution case that he was involved in with his girlfriend so now his mind is shifting to oh my gosh they must know something about the prosecution i told you these people are involved with some unsavory Mm -hmm. things no one is clean here but still 11 minutes into his interview with detectives they drop pictures of johnny clark and lisa straub on the table in front of him the detectives were not interested in domestic violence drugs or prostitution but they were very interested in what happened on the night of January 30th, 2011, inside the Holland home on Longacre Avenue. What Williams did not know was that the detectives had already received that cigarette butt with the hit of uh-huh. his DNA on it. Um, during an hour-long interview, Williams told detectives six times that he did not want to talk. It is the only time that Williams has told his story to the media. At one point, Korzak, like roared at him because this was being videotaped tell me why your dna is at my crime scene arms crossed williams refused to talk and asked for his attorney he quoted i have been incarcerated before and i know murder case is a very serious crime i didn't know if they were using the dna as a scare tactic to get me to talk but i knew if i talked to my attorney i'd find out more accurate information end quote so that's why he refused to talk that's his legal right to do so right i mean i don't disagree with no. him it's probably you know things right. can turn sour that, yeah and that's questioning. that's what as as a as americans we have a legal right to do that to say i'm not going to talk and i want my attorney that's what you should do mm-hmm. i mean essentially you really should samuel williams trial started july 17th 2012 and almost immediately i mean i mentioned the trial date but almost immediately after getting out of his interview with the detectives and being held in the jail cell before talking to his lawyer, um, he starts making phone calls from the county jail, which were used against him during the trial. Now, according to court records, the entire conversations were played for the jury. But according to the 11 Investigates interview, the jury was only provided pieces of the calls out of context of the entire conversation. So 11 investigates obtained a transcript of the entire conversations. So really what's debatable here is if the jury, I mean, the the court documents show that all the conversations were played for them. But perhaps what, what is disputable here is did the prosecution give the context of the conversations? Because they Uh. are in prison, so they're in jail. They're kind of talking in code. Uh And he does say some stuff that... It's yeah. questionable. Yeah. When you hear his side of it, you're like, okay, maybe that is what you meant. But when you are looking at him for a murder case, you're like, no, nah, I don't think so. It's hard. It's mm-hmm. really hard. The first call was made to his nephew, Chris, at 8.45 p.m. At one point, Williams, Williams tells him, quote, I fucked up. I'm going to be in here for a long time, Ooh. end quote. Prosecutors during the trial explained to the jury that this was an admission of guilt, but when WTOL 11 investigates interviewed uh, Sam, 
He says that he was angry that he had a significant amount of drugs in his home and that he was worried it would be stolen before before his nephew, who he had called, could get it and sell it to use it to hire his attorney. Ish. Okay. okay. All right. I'm so digesting it. Yep. So he's like, listen, I told him I'm, I effed up and I'm going to be in here a long time because I can't sell my drugs. What if somebody steals my drugs before they can, you can get in there and sell them and hire me an attorney so I can get out of here. Mm-hmm. So, okay. All right. In a later call with a friend that, that by the name of Looney, Williams tells him, I just told my little nephew where everything is at. Help. get him, Help him get rid of it. Dude, I need the money. I need a lawyer. So, okay. That, Again, could be taken several different ways. Yep, yep. I mean, let's not dispute the fact that he is literally in there for murder and he is on the phone committing yet another yes. felony. Yes. Okay. Yep. Now, the most incriminating phone call was made on April 12th, 2012, to Stephen Petaway, the brother of Cameo. Sam tells him, quote, that was supposed to be me and you. But you know, little bro, you know, little bro had to step in and take your spot, man. Stephen responds, you know, he didn't do it right like I would have done it right. Then uh, Sam says, no, but he did it good enough to make something happen. Now, again, the prosecutors pounced on the call, telling the jury that they were talking about the night of the murder and how Cameo had to go because Stephen, who was having this phone conversation with him, was in jail and that Cameo didn't do it right, possibly by leaving behind the cigarette. Yeah, yeah. What Williams says is no, no. Stephen was instrumental in setting up the prostitution business and that he was talking about a prostitution trip that he took Cameo on in Pittsburgh because Stephen was in jail. So he's like, no, when Stephen was in jail, I took Cameo with me for prostitution. And when I say he wasn't doing it right but good enough, in my eyes, he wasn't doing prostitution the way Stephen had done it in the past. So it's like, I had to take your little brother in your place and he didn't do it as well. It's so, it's, well, it's not funny to me, but it's like, the misconceptions are still like highly illegal things. Exactly. It's still so fucked up. It's like, it's not murder. It's the prostitution. Yeah, you got it all wrong. I'm a complete crap bag, but I'm no murderer is basically what he's saying. So later in the call to Stephen, Williams makes a comment that, quote, we've been some places, man. Yeah. Okay. right on. You mean like murder and prostitution and drugs? Or do you mean? Or you mean Sacramento? (laughs) A trip to Cabo over the weekend. Like, What do you mean? Been some places. Okay. Cleveland, I hear, is nice in the summer. <laughs> Jesus. So it does oh. <laughs> it does not prove his innocence. Okay. But it seems to eleven investigates that the jury was fed only pieces of the conversation to strengthen their case against Williams. And those pieces were crucial in convicting Williams. Now, I will point out that. Cameo Petaway was tried in a separate courtroom from Williams. However, his case was dismissed by Judge James Bates, saying the prosecutors only presented the cigarette as evidence against Petaway and that the cigarette could have been dropped by anyone. So Cameo, remember, there's two DNA pieces on this cigarette. Uh Cameo Petaway 
it got off scot-free. His, his trial was dropped because the judge was like, that cigarette could have been planted there. All you've got on Cameo Petaway is DNA from that Which cigarette. that also crossed my mind, too, because you said there was other cigarettes outside, and that yep. was the only one. I was like, yep. well, did it, it could somehow be planted. get in there? And that is what Sam Williams is maintaining that he was set up. But we've got these, what convicts Sam is not only do you have the DNA on the cigarette, but you also have the phone the calls. The phone calls, which are sketchy. I mean, but it's... They are. If I was sitting there hearing that, would I be like beyond a reasonable doubt? Uh, I don't know. Right. I don't think so. Right, right. And the other thing that was crucial in convicting Williams is testimony from inmate Eric Yingling. And even Williams himself was like, listen, if I was a juror and I had listened to Yingling's statement, I probably would have thought I was guilty too because he was very convincing. Eric Yingling testified at the trial that in December 2011, he was being held in the Lucas County Jail after, oh, he was on like his fifth degree felony or something like that. So he's an upstanding guy. Offender, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Yingling made contact with Sam Williams and a relationship developed. Ying were they, they were in there at the same time? Yes. Okay. Yes, and that was definitely confirmed. Definitely. I think I see where this is going. Yingling stated that since he had already been sentenced, other inmates tended to trust that he would not attempt to make a deal with police in exchange for testimony. Okay? So he's like, I'm already serving my time. Mm -hmm. I can't get a reduced sentence here. My, my trial date's been done and gone. Mm -hmm. People trust me. They tell me things. Right. <laughs> Yingling admitted that he had several other convictions and that he had had provided information in other cases. Okay, so yes, he was in there because his trial had, had come and gone. But he was also in still up for several other convictions as well. Gotcha. Okay. And he was used to singing for the police. He admitted that. He testified. He's like, I'm a snitch. I yeah, admit it. Yeah. Don't tell me anything. I really can't. I will keep tell a the police. Right. <laughs> so he testified that, quote, he did tell me that they went in through the garage, and that was kind of unclear how either Eric Taylor, so he's mentioning this other person, or Cameo, I never did get which one, knew Johnny Clark. So he's like, yeah, Sam Williams told me they went in through the garage, and one of the dudes, either Eric Taylor or Cameo Petaway, knew knew uh, mm -hmm. Johnny, but Sam didn't know Johnny. But he did tell me that when they got when they went in the garage, there was an entrance door to the home, and when they knocked and opened it, that Johnny Clark was on the phone, and when he saw who was there, he said something. This is not a quote, but something to the effect of, hey, what are you doing here? Who are these people? He said that he went into the house and they started yelling and getting violent with them, with it. Also, Johnny Clark told Lisa to go upstairs. Didn't, he didn't say if it was a bedroom or what, just go upstairs. And they started yelling and screaming about where's the, the diesel, where's the money, and they're telling them that there's nothing there, there's nothing there. One story that Sam says, they ransacked the house. The next story, it doesn't. Throughout the time that I was with him, little things changed. And when they did, they always slanted to his benefit. But he went on to tell me that they were in there searching for stuff and couldn't find anything. 
Lisa had gone upstairs and went into a locked room. I don't know what type of room, but Sam had to push through that locked door to get in there and bring her out and bring her downstairs. When they brought Lisa downstairs and they finally tried and they finally got tired of begging them to tell them where this stuff was, yelling, threatening them, they were going to pistol whip them, but they were worried about DNA. So they set them in chairs facing each other. Wherever they took the bags, and Johnny did not get a bag over his head first, according to the story. It was Lisa. They were trying to torture Lisa, for lack of a better word, to motivate Johnny to tell them. To motivate Johnny to tell them, hey, here's where the money is. Here's where the drugs are. And it never happened. On the third time that Lisa passed out, she never woke up. And that's why they went. Sam and Cameo, at that point, to the garage. These kids were apparently still on the upper level of the house, not in the basement, and they were out there smoking a cigarette, talking about what they were going to do. Sam told me that he had thought him and Cameo had talked about maybe killing Eric Taylor. Oh. Yeah. The cigarette that was found with the DNA, they are sharing it in the garage. They were sharing it in the garage, trying to discuss. When they were in the garage, Eric Taylor was inside killing Johnny Clark. I see. Yingling stated that he remembers Sam Williams saying, quote, how he will never forget the way that the bag made a crinkling sound going inside the mouth and outside the mouth as young Lisa struggled to breathe. That's one thing that was repeated to me a million times, end quote. That's a pretty detailed statement. Mm -hmm. Yingling further said Cam Petaway, by Sam's word, is the one who killed Lisa and they did not go there to kill anybody. Yingling indicated that there was some sort of foreign money in the home. And, and I hate to say this, but... Okay, so it was Iraqi money. Mm-hmm. But he kept calling it so damned insane, meaning Saddam Hussein. Oh, okay. To the police. So, and to the end in court. Uh-huh. That's how he was saying Saddam Hussein was so damned insane. And he was meaning the Iraqi currency that was found in the home. I see. The court records show that Yingling's te- Yingling testified at the trial that he admitted to police that his wife, quote, did some checking on the internet about the case, end quote. Here's where Sam Williams is at. He's like, listen, he's a jailhouse snitch. His wife did some research about the case and had these details, okay, because I'm not, I didn't just tell you anything. Like the things that Yingling said so far. They're already things that were known. Yeah. Those are already things I already told you, mm-hmm. right? From all the evidence that we'd already found. Because those are things that CNN was reporting on, Fox News was reporting on, the local public, WTOL, everything was mm-hmm. reporting on. So what is said in the trial, though, one of the detectives testifies that at the time that they interviewed Yingling, he mentions the Iraqi currency, and at that time, only the detectives, Lisa's parents, and the murderers had that information. But WTOL 11 investigates went back and looked at all the CNN coverage. The Iraqi currency was mentioned as early as like three to four days after these murders happened. So it could have been... It was out there. Mm -hmm. And I don't think the detective was purposely lying. I would imagine the detective wasn't watching the news. There's no way for him to possibly watch all the news coverage and know what's leaked and what's not. And I do believe that he, you know, believed like at that time that was that was not well-known information. However, Yingling did testify that Sam 
talked about when Lisa was locked in that room. He was told to go upstairs and break through the window to get her out of that room. Okay. And so Sam admits he's that he was there. To Yingling? To Yingling. Oh, oh, so, this is okay. Yingling. Remember, That's this is the Yingling. snitch. Okay. Yep. I just got, I thought you meant Sorry. like Sam had said and like no. testifying. Never no, no, mind. no. Okay. Yingling was testifying He's still saying to this. that Sam told him these yep, things. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Okay. There is the photographic evidence of the home does show damage to her bedroom window. That part is not a part of like the chain of evidence and a part of um, the CNN reporting or anything like that. So as much as the Iraqi currency was like this, oh, no, nobody knew about it. Wait, yes, they did. The window really was a situation of, okay, maybe Sam did say something to Yingling because that window did have damage. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Can I ask, did Yingling get a reduced sentence for anything else? Yeah. Yeah. Yingling, Yingling got stuff. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just... I don't know what to, to think um, at this point of time, but so often we do hear about this happening with somebody getting a reduced sentence. We do, we do. And, and the thing is, is that Yingling did get, I believe, a reduced sentence. There was some mentioned in, mention in some sources that he also got a large substantial payout, but I don't, I don't know if that's true. Mm-hmm. I have no idea, no way to prove that that, that happened or not, so... I don't necessarily want to throw that in there. It's certainly not in the court records gotcha. <laughs> or anything like that. One of the the things that Sam Williams tells WTOL 11 Investigates is that there was his cell phone tower pinged at um, off from a tower 15 miles away at 1027 p.m. So he could not have possibly been at Lisa's parents' home at 1041 p.m. But the problem with that is, is that is what Sam is saying. There is no evidence of that anywhere, and none of that was entered into, not even by the defense, by his defense, was entered into court. So it's just Sam saying that. That is just him saying, like, oh, no, there was, there was a, a, you know, a cell phone tower off, and they're like, no, we can't find this anywhere. Literally, we can't find that anywhere. Yeah. Okay. So a review of the record, however, reveals that no evidence was introduced at the time of Sam Williams, that Sam Williams had made that call or possessed the cell phone at the time. Um, And in fact, no evidence was presented as to who actually made that call or who had the cell phone. It was not used to help him. So let's talk about the DNA a little bit. DNA samples collected at the crime scene were compared to DNA strands of 36 suspects, including Sam Williams and Cameo Petaway. DNA profiles developed from samples taken from the scene were consistent with both Johnny and Lisa. Some samples produced no reliable evidence, and some were partial profiles that were suitable for comparison purposes. It ended up being that they found DNA strands of 53 people. They were able to, you know, figure, I mean, there's a lot of people coming in and out Uh of the house. And so where they added in those extra from 36 to 53 to is on that duct tape. There was a lot. And this had to have happened during the manufacturing process and shipping, packaging, shipping, receiving all of that stuff. There's probably so many people that have handled it at that point. There is DNA contributions from at least two unknown individuals, one male, one female. And this DNA profile has been put into CODIS and basically is just waiting for somebody to pop up. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Sam Williams and Cameo Petaway were the only two people charged in the killing. 
Williams was convicted. The jury found him guilty of two counts of aggravated murder with death penalty specifications. Wow. Yep. Two counts of kidnapping and one count of aggravated burglary. During the penalty phase of the capital case, so when they were addressing the sentencing for the death penalty, the jury deadlocked and was unable to reach a unanimous verdict, so he narrowly escaped the death penalty. Yeah, very much so. After consideration, the trial court sentenced Sam Williams to two consecutive terms of life in prison without the possibility of parole for the aggravated murder charges. He got 10-year terms for imprisonment for each individual kidnapping charge, and a 10-year term of imprisonment for the aggravated burglary charge. charge. Isn't it amazing how, not to, I mean, what happened is horrible, but case to case, the sentencing, how it's so different. Laid the hammer down. Yeah. Laid the hammer the down. The hammer has been laid. Now, I will say the 10-year term of imprisonment were ordered to be served consecutive, consecutively of each other, but it doesn't matter. He got life in prison. He's serving two consecutive no life terms with no parole possible. And, and we just talked about a man that killed his family twice that didn't get any yeah, of that. Exactly. It's just amazing to me. Yep. You know? This is why people say we have no justice system, and yeah. it's so true. Sam Williams maintains his innocence. No one believes that that he didn't have additional help. Okay. Like, he didn't do this alone if he's involved. Correct. Exactly. Many of Johnny's friends did not even know that he was staying at Lisa's home or the address. Very few people knew that her parents were out of town. It's going to be, this is what one of the detectives said, quote, it's going to be somebody who has information that solves it for us. I'm not saying that DNA could not solve the crime, but what's going to solve this case is someone is going to come forward and say what happened because it was somebody who knows them. There's more than one person. Whether or not you want to believe is Sam was Sam Williams set up because he had, he believes, he's like, listen, I had a horrible I had a lot of charges against me. Mm-hmm. I was not I was not out there living the clean life. So I was an easy person to set up for this. Yes, yeah. Because it's easy to look at his prostitution, look at his drug running, look at all of that and say, Yep, yep, that's not a far stretch from murder. Really what the detectives are the detectives and the police feel like, okay, he was there because he says he's never been to that home before. But his DNA is there. Mm-hmm. He, those, uh, unfortunately, we've got the testimony from Yingling, which did have some, there's some question marks around that, right? Although the prosecution and the jury, whatever they heard, felt that it was strong. Yeah. That it was strong it enough was to use enough. his, yeah. To, and he, and actually Sam Williams himself was like, yeah, he's, yeah, he's a it, master guys. manipulator. Good. Like, yeah, what he said was pretty dang good. And then you have his, his phone calls. Where he like shot the himself phone, in the foot. The phone calls are very questionable, right. and I, so, I, I could see how they could be interpreted different ways. But when you have yeah. a murder, I mean, you're going up for murder, and you're making these like cryptic. Correct. Crypt- you're not I making the, the phone calls of "Oh my god, I can't believe this happened to these right. people." I'm and innocent, like, and this is happening yes. to me. It's like yep. his first one was like, basically, I messed yeah. up. I'm in trouble. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. So, but. I don't believe that he acted alone. I'm not here to say whether he's guilty or innocent. It's, I think it's very obvious that there are more people involved in this that walked that away. Walked away. And like Cameo Petaway, his DNA was on that cigarette, but because there was no phone calls and there was no jailhouse informant, he walked away. He walked away. The judge was like, that could have been planted there. So no, you were not bringing charges against him. There's also, another, I told you earlier, there was one person that was connected to all of them. Mm-hmm. 
and it, it gets a little confusing. So if, if you're confused, stop me and I will try to make it more clear. Okay. Okay. But there is this girl named Alex and she did testify that she was friends with Johnny, Lisa, Zach, Tiffany, Sam Williams, and Cameo Petaway. Okay. So this Alex girl knows them all. She had been friends with Sam Williams since she was 13 years old and considers him a brother. Alex stated that prior to their arrests, so prior to Cameo and Williams' arrests, she hung out, quote, a lot, very often, with both of them. Now, there were problems between Johnny and Alex. There were two incidences that had occurred. One was involving a dog and the other a car. So, with respect to the dog incident, Alex testified in September, she testified that in September and October of 2010, so this is right before the murders, Mm -hmm. she lived in a hotel and had a pit bull puppy. And then Johnny and Lisa visited Alex at the hotel room in October and saw that Alex was not taking care of the puppy. So Johnny and Lisa offered to buy the puppy. Alex wanted $100. Lisa and Johnny paid Alex $50 and took the puppy, but never paid her the other $50. This upset Alex. Alex testified they eventually made up and started hanging out again with Johnny and Lisa. Now, in respect to the car incident, around Thanksgiving 2010, Johnny offered to sell his car to Alex. Alex testified that she was hanging out with Johnny and Zach at Zach's house, and Johnny was high. The trio went to IHOP on Airport Highway, and the whole drive there, Johnny was bugging me about it and kept bringing it up and basically was begging me to buy the car because he really needed the money. Alex finally agreed to buy the car for $1,500. She gave Johnny $750 in cash and, quote, wouldn't give him the other half until they got the title notarized. Okay. So Johnny, this was confirmed by Zach. He was there for the whole thing because remember they were eating at IHOP. He's like, yep, he was able to to confirm that. Mm -hmm. Later that day, Alex dropped Johnny off at his mother's house. Alex then received an angry phone call from Johnny's mother who was screaming, cussing, and saying that I drugged her son, which I didn't. Basically that I tricked him into selling me the car, but Johnny was in the background the whole telling the whole time telling her that it was his idea. So the title work for the car was never transferred and Alex never paid Johnny the other balance for the car. After a few weeks the car broke down and Alex had the car towed back to her house in East Toledo. Now Johnny's upset because he wanted his money for the car that was now broken. Right. And so now he's out the money and the car. And um, she's probably she's also like, like, I bought exactly. this broke she's like, car. <laughs> but I paid you seven fifty, and now this car is broke. Uh-huh. During, Didn't get the title. Exactly. You know. Yep. During the call, Alex threatened to beat up Lisa. Alex testified that Johnny's dad retrieved the car, and she never saw Johnny again. Mr. Clark, so Lisa's dad, I'm sorry, Mr. Clark, Johnny's dad, was also aware that Alex had made threats to Johnny over the car. In the early morning hours of February 1st, so this is the day after their bodies are discovered, Mm -hmm. Alex sent a text message to a girl. This girl's privacy name is being held in privacy for fear. And it said, quote, that she was, quote, having problems. So Alex was having problems with this girl whose identity is being protected. Uh And the message said, you do not know shit about me, fam. So fall back, because I promise I ain't no bitch. 
I do this shit, fam. Watch the news, bitch. Motherfuckers got duct taped and tied up and left for dead. So what you trying to do, fam? You saw me looking at you at the store. You should have asked me and I would have told you who I am, period. Wow. End quote. Wow. So, that is heavily suspicious. Right? She's the one link, right? But nothing ever came of it, right? No. And they did Not even with and the she test- testified. Wow. I mean, she testified. Now, a June 4th article from WOTL 11 was released. This was just days after the 11 investigates released their series on like from Sam Williams perspective. Mm -hmm. So just days after Tiffany Williams speaks out again. And she says, the reason that I didn't call the police is that Johnny told me he'd call me back. Cause remember he's like, I'll call you back Tiff. Yeah. When I waited and he didn't call back, I got worried. She knew he could possibly be selling drugs at the home and quote, if the police went there and he was busted, I would have been the snitch. She, she said that she is not involved and does not believe that Zach Burkhart, that, that her friend Zach that was there, she's like, I was not involved in their murders. Neither was Zach. But she does have a suspect in mind and is willing to talk to the police about the person, even agreeing to testify if needed. Quote, I'm willing to do what needs to be done. If it needs to be opened up, let's open it up. End quote. So she so that still was, has info. Yes. That was on June 4th of this year. And wow. like I said, this is the 10-year anniversary. Police police ask that anyone who has information about this case call Crime Stoppers at 419-255-1111 or the Detectives Bureau at 419-213-4917. Look, the question here is, I mean, it's possible the man that's in prison for this, is maybe he was set up, or maybe he is connected and there's more people and he's not willing for to, whatever reason. To give them up. To, mm-hmm. Well, he is remaining complete innocence, right? Mm-hmm. So he hasn't, like, snitched on anybody else and or I said, like, oh. And, and honestly, I think to give other people up, he'd have to give himself up because he's maintaining his innocence. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Yeah. Yes. This is a, a lot. It is. It is. So that is that is what I could piece together for everyone from the court documents and from the 11 Investigates series, or not series, um, articles, and... It's kind of, it's kind of crazy. I mean, what, what do you think? Do you think he's, I I mean, it's just, he maintains his innocence and that he was set up, which could maybe explain why he doesn't have other people's names to throw under the bus. And he was quoted saying like, this is horrible and I hope the family finds closure, but was was there ever any suspicion that, what was his name? Yingling? Eric? Yeah. No, he's just the core. He's, he wasn't involved in any. I know he wasn't involved, but I'm wondering, was there ever any suspicion that he, like, said what the prosecution wanted him to say kind of thing? That wasn't, no. Because that that would be the only part that I question his testimony, Mm -hmm. you know, and you said that his... Was it his girlfriend? His or wife. His wife already kind of knew some things. Had done some research, yep. Fed it to him in the jail, possibly. I guess my... For me. For me... I don't know that I am convinced that he's innocent, but I don't know that I'm convinced that he's guilty. Right. Even or if solely he, guilty. Yeah. If if he was guilty, absolutely he didn't do it alone. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's what's like crazy about this. And I mean, even the detectives are like, yeah, it's going to take somebody coming forward. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they know he's not the only and guy there's here. Some, it's, there's these little traces of people that you know that they know something else. Yep. Yep. So I don't and believe for a, a second he was alone. Like at the, in the beginning of the 
the 11 investigates, they're like, there's a lot of people whose identity we have to continue to protect because there's a lot of fear surrounding this case yeah. and in, in speaking out. These people, like, they so were all I into some heavy stuff, it sounds like. Yeah, and yeah, definitely. So, And just the way that in which they were killed suggests more of a mob, drug ring mm-hmm. kind of connection. Absolutely. I think it's mm-hmm. the scary thing is, like, yes, that cigarette could have just been randomly planted very easily, but then you put those calls in there, and they are pretty cryptic and yeah. coded and, like, so... Definitely. There's so many things you can interpret that, and I'm just like... Would you make those? I mean, maybe he would innocently make those calls because he had so many legal problems going on and uh, right. talk openly about them. But it's like, gosh, if you're up for murder, are you really going to say that stuff? Yeah, I don't it, know. When you, I know it's hard. It's so hard. It's definitely hard. This some of the ones we've done that are unsolved. I'm like, you, you know, yeah, you have a yeah. feeling who did it. This one, I'm like, I oh, don't. There's a there's a lot of players and a lot of possibility here so when many. you're talking about money and drugs. And Even if he did it, he did not do it alone. One, no way. Exactly. And I think that one thing we can probably all agree on is that Lisa was unfortunately collateral damage. They were not after her. Yeah, it was ha- it was Johnny. Yes. Or they were looking for the, the safe. Money. Exactly. That perhaps he was just, maybe he really was bragging and there was no money. I believe that there was no money. Mm-hmm. And because obviously... Lisa's family would be like, yeah, we're out $100,000. Like, like, Oh, for sure. You know, I do wonder if Johnny being a bragger, his friends did testify that he liked to brag a lot. He bragged about his marijuana, about his Percocet, about his life. Like, it's possible that he told people a Oh, yeah, they got all this money. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that is My possible. My girlfriend that I just moved in with, they're loaded. Yeah. You know, yep. so, oh, that would be... Horrible if that's what ended up backfiring. And the other thing is, is why was that picture torn and found in the sunroom of Johnny and Lisa when there is an unknown female DNA? I was just going to say, was uh, that was Alex? Was her DNA ever taken? You know, it actually I'm assuming because she was willing to testify. Yes, because I mean, she testified in the thing and there was tons of DNA found, but they were all verified. Gotcha. So, because mm-hmm. there was that one female that wasn't identified, so I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. And I did find. I mean, you can like read through the whole list, and like they match the DNA. Their names are redacted mm-hmm. of it, but um, so hers was never found anywhere near anything yet. Or if there we know was, of. it was explained. It could possibly be explained away because she'd been there before. Oh, uh, oh. I mean, she's she knows all of them. Wow. So. There's there is unknown a fe- you know unknown female and an unknown male DNA match still. This is crazy. Out there that was like in the pockets of his sweatshirt. I want to and solve pants. this now. I know. I know. Uh, so I need answers. Um. Well, I hope they do. I hope some stuff comes up. I hope that they continue yep, to. I'm, I'm I'm hoping people come forward and um can do right by you know these. These families at this point in time. It's and amazing though now with the the new DNA technology. Sometimes well, years later, stuff will pop in up. Just recently in Toledo, they solved a case using the DNA profile. So they are hoping that that will happen, and a lot of advances have have happened. So hopefully, between that and other people coming forward with more of their information, then yeah, yeah. fingers crossed. I know. Are you ready? I'm though, ready for a brain bath. Now that we've covered that. Here it is. Here's the title. Women swipe stroller from store, but leave one of their children behind. Mm. (laughs) 
Don't you hate bad. it when a good plan gets foiled by your You'll own leave dumbassness? One of the kids behind. If you're gonna make a run for it, don't leave anyone behind. Three women, three women, apparently didn't get that concept in August when they were caught on camera allegedly stealing a baby stroller from a New Jersey store, only to be busted after one of them forgot their child inside the shop. <laughs> Two of the women had distracted an employee at the Middletown store while the third woman went to the front to grab a stroller. Police said the woman left the store, but one of them left behind some precious cargo, her own child. Investigators later arrested the uh, at least two of the women, and the stolen stroller was returned. Wow. And can it's you imagine these those plan. workers to be like, someone left you'll, their you'll kid. Left their kid here. And you stole my stroller. Yeah. So which which one's going to be more important? We're going to find out. Yeah. So uh, even worse that there was three of them. Oh, yeah. And look at this picture. You can see all three of them. Oh, yeah. I need and to I, see faces. Well, and I like how they took, look at, there's three kids there. Like, you took your kids out to do your thieving? Wow. Do you think that one of them just forgot their stroller and she was like, girl, I got you. Let's just go steal one because we're not going to haul that baby around on our hip all day. Probably. Like, they, and like, look at how they're dressed. Like, I don't, I don't ever care how people dress, but like, girlfriend, that's not what you wear to steal. No. A stroller. Like, why are your boobies hanging out and the pockets of your shorts are hanging out? Like, Dress appropriately a, yeah, for a theft. Come right, on. You're drawing attention to yourself here. And like this camera shot is directly down her shirt. Oh, yes, it you're is. You're just for like, sure. um, okay. So you got fancy, you got like all fancied up to go. To go get a stroller. Steal your stroller. I mean, at least wear shorts at a reasonable length if you're going to go rob a right, store. Right. Just, some people have no standards. They kind of look like they're just like on the prowl for some dick. While with their kids. Oh, we got to pick up a, a stroller on the way. Yeah, it's so weird. So weird. So anyway, hope you enjoyed this episode and uh, follow us on social media. If you want to be our intern, email us crimecurious at yahoo.com. We yes. need a student intern to run our social media accounts. Follow us on social media. And uh, until next time, we hope you guys keep it cautiously curious, but not so uh, curious that you leave your kid behind (laughs) in a store after you've robbed it. For sure. All right. Till next time, guys. Bye-bye.